15,000 years ago, it's hypothesized that the first human communities were founded on and established by a very unlikely thing. Not on religious ideas or on politics or collaborating on cave architecture, but instead on something I'm quite passionate about, beer. Some anthropologists have argued that the transition from the hunter-gatherer age to the agricultural age happened because humans began to collaborate on growing the ingredients to brew beer. We had previously it had been assumed that this agriculture had been based around the ingredients for bread making. There's a strong argument that early communities uh, were more keen for a pint than a pastry. Scientific American records how the anthropologist Solomon Katz argued that humans domesticated and bred crops such as wheat and barley because they needed more and better grains to brew beer. To Katz, beer is the food most central to the development of modern society. He says, with beer we began. And so the very first uh, community formed, not just for the sake of it, but formed with a goal to work together to grow the ingredients for the brewing of beer. And it's the same with all communities. All communities are gathered around some sort of focus and goal. Parenting communities have the goal of producing good parents. Rugby communities have the goal of producing good rugby players, unless it's the Blues. Pottery communities have the goal of producing people who are good at making pottery. And cycling communities have the goal of producing people who think it's okay to wear lycra in public, and it's not okay. Communities gather around the task of developing certain kinds of humans for a specific goal. We see this in the, word, in the etymology of the word community, common and unity. And so it is with the church. We unify ourselves around a common goal. And that goal is the goal of becoming more like Jesus. This is the ultimate goal because in becoming more like Jesus, we find the fullest form of our own humanity. What goal could be more beneficial to be united around? The goal of Christian community is to commune and spiritually grow together into Christ-like humans. However, much of the latest research on people's approach to spiritual growth shows that people's formation journeys are often done alone. Barna research has shown that in the US, that among Christians who say spiritual growth is important, more than one third say they prefer to pursue spiritual growth on their own. 37%. Similarly, two in five of all Christian adults consider their spiritual life to be entirely private, 41%. In other words, millions of Christians believe that discipleship is a solo affair with only personal and private implications. Of course, formation does contain elements of going solo. We think of the life of Jesus where we hear that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And he also taught, of his, um, taught his disciples to pray in solitude when he taught, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. But as Sharon Park states, the pilgrimage of faith must be made in the company of others. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we don't just see the preference for formation alone, but the skillful interplay between solitude and community. Tim Mackey calls this interplay the spiritual symmetry of Jesus. 
As soon as Jesus was done with his time in solitude, he uh, often is said to have returned to pray with his disciples before venturing out into mission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor and theologian, warns us of this. Um, warns us of the pitfalls of this dynamic interplay between solitude and community. In his writings, he notes this: "Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude." plunges into the void of words and feelings, and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. I'm not sure Bonhoeffer was having a great day when he wrote that, but again, the point stands that we aren't to pick between solitude and community, but to learn the benefits and the practice of doing both. It's about striking the balance, knowing yourself and how God created you, and understanding your spiritual inclinations. But today I want to focus on the challenge of engaging deeper into the practice of community. We've seen that community was part of the spiritual symmetry that fueled Jesus' ministry. But even when we consider how God has created our bodies, it shows that we are wired for deep connection with others. Lately, I've been thinking about mirror neurons a lot, not because I particularly care for science, but because I have a newborn baby. I'm constantly pulling faces and doing a lot of um, smiles for my baby Piper because I know it's stimulating the mirror neurons in her brain, causing her to grow and to learn and develop. In other words, her connection with me and to others helps her become who she is. Rob Mole, in his book, What Your Body Knows About God, reflects on the significance of mirror neurons, noting that who we are is a complex mix of our own nature, interacting with and mimicking the people around us. But there is no such thing as a complete person in isolation from others. We are a product of who we are with. It's no wonder, then, that community has such a strong formative power in our lives. The power of this connection is so strong that research has shown that after 25 years of marriage, people actually start to look like each other, sorry Zaya, uh, because of the power of mirror neurons. The impacts of this neuro- these neurons are so profound it changes our facial muscles and consequently our face- faces in general. But it's one thing to say that community is important for our formation. It's another thing to actually figure out how to engage with the practice of community meaningfully. So how do we, in a hyper-connected world, go from uh, just connection with others to communion with each other? The first thing I would say is that to engage in uh, community well, to go from uh, connection to communion, we must know ourselves well. Because although our pilgrimage of faith must be made together, the way into community is not monolithic. For different personality types, the journey will look very different. Whoever you are, this task of moving from uh, mere connections to communion will be very different. And for this reason, I want to talk to a very maligned people group in the church. Uh, No, not gingers or non-coffee drinkers or people who read the message or people who actually uh, show up to church on time. No, I'm talking about introverts. One of the elephants in the room when talking about community is the fact that many of us just aren't energized by being around others. 
We call these creatures introverts. Just a mention of community and the need to engage is often enough for many introverts to break out in a rash and even whisper the word icebreaker and they risk spontaneous combustion. In Adam McHugh's book, uh, Introverts in the Church, he contrasts the way that introverts and extroverts engage in community. As an introvert pastor, he laments the fact that although his natural disposition is to avoid social contact and community, he cannot escape the fact that growth invariably involves the messiness of genuine human contact and the struggles of intimacy. McHugh contrasts how introverts and extroverts enter into community. He explains, as introverts seek to enter and participate in community, their trajectory of commitment may take a different shape than their extroverted counterparts. Extroverts who want to increase their level of involvement may proceed roughly in a straight line as they move from the periphery into the nucleus of community. They move from stranger to acquaintance to participant to core member, finding more energy as they progress into the community. The journey of introverts into a community, however, is better conceptualized as a spiral. They take steps into a community, but then spiral out to regain energy, to reflect on their experiences and to determine if they are comfortable in that community. They move between entry, retreat and re-entry, gradually moving deeper into the community on each loop. What confuses extroverts though is that the introverted path and community never reaches a point where we shed the spiraling shape. Knowing yourself well will help you navigate how to best engage in community in a way that's sustainable for you and sustainable for the way that God has created you. And understanding that differences exist in the way that people engage in community helps us to be empathetic to those who engage differently to us. And if you're someone who doesn't believe that extroverts or introverts uh, exist, I invite you to spend a day in the office with both Andy and Mary. My next point on how to move from connection to communion is, uh, is quite controversial. Uh, to move from connection to communion with each other, you have to make an effort to show up. And I'm not being facetious here. Community is all about doing something together. This goal collectively of collectively seeking to become like Jesus um, never really works if you just don't show up. We live in an age of instant gratification, of transience, of preference against commitment. And my generation is the worst. It's not even that we can't just commit to clicking to clicking going on a event on Facebook. I can't even commit to watching a video that takes longer than five seconds to buffer. This week, I literally skipped my formational community so I could write the sermon on community. The average Christian goes to church about once every three weeks. And as a community trying to become more like Jesus, I have no problem in saying that that's probably not enough if you want to be transformed by community and the teachings and practices that come with it. You're just as likely to get a six pack from going to the gym once every three weeks. We often think that freedom comes from not committing to something, but in reality, I think freedom comes from the commitment to, tr to be truly and freely known and loved in the presence of others, something that can only be done when you commit to showing up. 
But we don't just show up for ourselves. We show up for others as well. Not just those who are in the church, but for those outside of it. For the task of Christian community is to be the institutional form of Jesus. To show what it looks like to participate in an alternative community to what the world has to offer. To be a witness to others. In considering the importance of showing up, we're reminded that community is a practice. It takes discipline and training and that it's much easier when you're in the rhythm of it. The last thing to uh, say on this is that to go from connection to communion with with each other, we need to take steps to open up. And by this, I don't mean to say that you should join a random formational community um, and pour out your deepest secrets and confess all the most awful things you've ever done to strangers in the church. But when we speak our reality to others, sharing what's really going on in our lives, it opens the door to prayer, uh, intercession, healing, practical help uh, and support, and ultimately, spiritual growth. It sets a community culture that people can be themselves and bring all of who they are. Opening up to others, being honest and vulnerable with others has its risks. Risks of being hurt or rejected or judged or ignored. Often we can feel misunderstood in community. The other week, one of the guys in our youth group was pretty unwell, so I sent him a care package, one of those online ones where you can include a nice message. Well, I was shocked a few days later when his mum sent me a picture of the package he had received. Uh, Unfortunately, there had been a mix-up, and he had received the romance package, which, among other things, contained a bottle of wine. Now, thankfully, I have a good relationship with his mother, and she could discern that this was neither a romantic gesture or an attempt to provide alcohol to a minor. But uh, being in... And practicing community, opening our lives to each other, always contains the possibility of being misunderstood. But it also uh, opens the door to being seen, known, and loved by others. And this is exactly how Jesus says we should be identified as disciples. He says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. As we... uh, find ourselves in these funny times where it can be easy to shut ourselves off to the world and to others. As we as a church community continue to gather in unorthodox and unexpected ways, may we not shut ourselves off to others, but may we effectively engage in the balance of of the spiritual symmetry of solitude and community. May we know ourselves well so we can effectively engage in community, knowing our limitations, but also extending ourselves, pushing ourselves for the sake of our growth. May we show up and remain connected to others in our community, being present and active in the lives of others. And may we open up sharing in the life of others in the same way that God shares in our lives. Let's pray together. God, I I thank you for this series. And we're doing this series because uh, we as a community, we so desire to become more like you. God, we um, as a church have people in all kinds of stages of life with different kinds of baggage, but also different kinds of strengths and talents. And God, wherever we are in our journey, I pray that you reveal yourself to us, that you encourage us, and um, 
you uh, push us to go deeper with you in this journey. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone.